Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. it's your calling to become an authentic midwife? Do you dream of attending women in birth? Have you felt frustrated trying to be a birth worker in the system? Are you looking for a better way to walk with women in total integrity, supporting mother-led physiological birth? Are you dreaming of building a thriving, profitable business as a birth coach? Well, We are thrilled to announce that enrollment for our Radical Birth Keeper School is now open. Classes begin June 1st, so head over to our website and get the details. The time is now, and we need you to join us in this birth revolution. www.radicalbirthkeeperschool.com I invite Jennifer Lal on the show, who is the founder and president of the Center for Bioethics and Culture based in San Francisco. She's also a documentary producer, having created important films like Exploitation and Big Fertility. Today, we discuss some of the health risks of egg harvesting and of being a surrogate, as well as some of the deeply concerning language in surrogacy contracts, the challenges Jennifer has faced as she tries to make legislative changes to protect women, and I also share some of my experience of the backlash I received in putting out the three-part surrogacy series. We also include some great resources at the end of Where to Learn More. Okay. It is such an honor to be here with you today. And I'm so, so grateful to bring your wisdom and knowledge to the women that listen to this podcast. So why don't you please just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Jennifer Lal, and I am the president of a nonprofit based in the San Francisco Bay Area called the Center for Bioethics and Culture. And I kind of got into the space in a really weird way. Um, I worked for almost 20 years as a pediatric critical care nurse. So perhaps it will resonate with some of your listeners that, um, as, as you can imagine, working at places like the University of California, San Francisco, Children's Hospital, Oakland, University of California, Los Angeles, taking care of critically ill babies and children all the way up to the teens. Um, I saw things that I was concerned Mm. with, Um, you know, things that probably caused maybe some of your listeners to go the free birth route, Uh, things within traditional Western medicine. So I'm always very much 
uh, inquisitive person. And I decided um, mid-career to go back and pursue a degree in bioethics because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And I was really concerned with those kind of questions. And in the course of my graduate studies, I decided to found a nonprofit. I had no, no idea what I was doing. I left high tech, you know, ICU, critical care nursing, and launched an organization. And I thought, well, I'll just sit around and take phone calls and sort of be a resource to and, people. And was surrogacy already a focus of yours or this was, has surrogacy even entered the story yet? Not, okay. not yet, not yet. So when I launched my nonprofit, it was at the height of what I call the embryonic stem cell human cloning debate of America. Ugh. George Bush was in the White House, Christopher Reeve and Michael J. Fox was running around saying, we have to do this research because people are dying and we've got to develop cures. And there was this one little soundbite always. We, have, we had at that time a half a million frozen human embryos in the United States that were part of this debate. And I thought, huh, how, how did we come to have a half a million frozen embryos? And that led me to really dig around and investigate assisted mm -hmm. reproduction. And I was one of the few people in those early days that was writing about harm to young women who sold mm -hmm. their eggs. Because you need eggs to make embryos and they don't come from the farm or the right. chicken coop. <laughs> And in, in that writing and speaking out, I had women contacted me through the internet, the amazing internet where we go and find people. And they were young women in America who were university mm -hmm. students. They saw an ad, be an angel, help somebody's dreams come true. Oh, by the way, you'll make all this cash. And in just meeting these women and hearing their stories, I decided to then move into filmmaking. And that was my first film I ever wrote, directed, and produced in a weekend called Exploitation. Mm. Went on to win the California Independent Film Festival's Best nice. Documentary Film wow. Prize. I mean, literally a film that was shot on a weekend. <laughs> um, and then, of course, when that film was launched, it made a big splash around the world. And the donor conceived people started contacting me people that are here because of anonymous sperm and mm. egg donation. And I produced a film called Anonymous Father's Day, which features these now grown up mm. people wonder, wondering their primal womb. Who do I belong to? Who do I fit in? Are you mm. my mother? Um, and then of course, to complete the trilogy of third party conception, third parties, egg donors, sperm donors, surrogate mothers, I produced two films on mm. surrogacy. So it just kind of led you. Yeah. Legendary. Yeah, I mean, it just, I never thought in graduate school that I was going to go on and become a filmmaker in the space of third party mm -hmm. conception. But here I am. Wow. And so what yeah. is, what are some, just to keep it kind of broad for now before we dive in of this trilogy, as you called it, what are some common denominators of third party reproduction? Well, you know, of course, as a pediatric nurse, as a, as a feminist, as a mother, um, you know, a common denominator is the, the children, the products of these third-party conceptions, um, often mostly commercial contract conceptions, mm. um, and the rights of the child. Um, you know, Nancy Verrier, who's the author of the Primal Wound book, is interviewed in one of my film. Um, in production, I found out she's my neighbor. 
So I actually met her in her office, you know, a few miles from my home and sat down and interviewed her. But, you know, what are the rights of the children um, to not be born of a commercial contract? What are the rights of the child to have an original birth certificate that says who their biological mother, father, or their birth mother, who might not be their biological mother? Um, what are the rights of a child not to be born in, in a risky, high-risk, complicated uh -huh. pregnancy? I mean, these children are um, exposed to risk because of the very nature. Um, and then, of course, the risk to the women, the women who either provide eggs and or wombs. You know, we're just now seeing in the medical literature um, the serious risk, the health risk to women who decide to rent or sell their body for money and the ethics right. around and that. That's, yeah, I watched your documentary last night, Big Fertility, which I highly recommend to everybody. It's on Prime, Amazon Prime, if you have that. Um, and, and that did such a good job of following the story of Kelly, who um, experienced very serious complications and, and risk and to the point of almost dying in, in her surrogacy journey. Um, and so I'd love to unpack that a little bit with you of what, what you know to be true of let's, let's do it in, in surrogacy first or, or, but I really, because I haven't done the egg harvesting too much on this ep, on this podcast, I had Jennifer Block on who wrote everything below the waist. Um, so that was, that was a little bit of a, you know, an intro point. Um, and I hope if you, you know, if you are listening and you haven't read that book, Everything Below the Waste, please, please, please go read it. Um, because it does talk about this in a couple of the chapters, but let's, let's talk about the egg harvesting because I haven't covered that yet here. So tell us about the, the process of it, the tar, you know, who they target and, uh, what you've seen as the risks and the, the harm that is occurring with the women who are, um, you know, kind of preyed upon. Sure. Um, well, there's two demographics that are targeted for their eggs. One is the egg, um, I call them benders, um, that are being targeted to help somebody make a baby. So they're going to want somebody who's smart, uh, talented, college educated, has healthy White. genes to pass on them overwhelmingly. But, you know, there's plenty of people that are Indian, Asian, uh, one of the women in exploitation was mm -hmm. Asian, um, and she was targeted because she was very smart. She was doing a combined MD-PhD program. They wanted, it was an Asian couple that wanted mm -hmm. genius eggs. Wow. wow. And then the second. Just <laughs> hold on there. <laughs> Woo, genius <laughs> eggs. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the second demographic in my state, California, just last December legalized um, women can sell their eggs for scientific research. Now, the scientist doesn't care if you're smart okay. and pretty, which means the demographic is now going to be impoverished mm -hmm. women. Because they get paid? You know, because okay. they get paid and they need the money. So depending on what the end goal is, scientific research or a new baby, the, the, oh, the ads will be targeting. Okay. Gotcha. And, so and you can bet the baby-making eggs are going to be paid mm -hmm. higher than the woman who's going to be paid maybe $1,000 for her eggs for the scientific research. But the Stanford... Um, you know, PhD student can get 50,000. You know, and before, before I started to learn about this, I had a very, very naive 
concept of what egg harvesting was. I mean, this is embarrassing to admit now, but I kind of pictured this almost cartoonish procedure of just, uh, you know, like something as simple as the woman walks in the clinic and they just stick something up and kind of suck out an egg, like something, I know that's so stupid, <laughs> but you know, and I, I'm sure people listening have a similar, uh, you know, kind of naive concept of it, that it's simple because it's, it's sold as simple. Um, so would you, would you enlighten us about what the actual process is? Yeah. Well, think, okay. You know, women fertility 101, you know, normal, normally we ovulate one egg a month, sometimes two in the case of, you know, getting twins or something. But if, if you can imagine you're going to pay a woman 10, $20,000, whatever for eggs, you don't want one egg, right? You want as right. many as you can get. So these women are put on um, hormones, high dose fertility drugs in order to cause them to, they call it super. For how ovulate. many months? Uh, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a procedure that takes about okay. two weeks, two to three weeks. So in about a short, not even a normal menstrual wow. cycle period of time, <clears throat> your ovaries are put into hyperdrive. You know, they get the size of grapefruits. Wow. You, you'll, you'll talk to women and they'll talk about how they can feel their ovaries like bumping into Ugh. each other. They can feel their insides sloshing because there's so Ugh. much fluid because these ovaries get so big because all these follicles are being stimulated to produce eggs. And then um, after, when the eggs are ready to be retrieved, they usually give her an uh, injection of HCG, which helps the eggs to be released. So they go up usually transvaginally with a long catheter and then a needle, and then they suck each egg out. So in exploitation, they got 60 eggs, six what? zero from one. They got 27 from another. They got 30 from another. So if you can imagine each egg requires a punch, a puncture into the ovary to retrieve that egg. They don't go in one time and just suck because these are okay. in two ovaries. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Um, so there's all these short-term risks of doing this. And then there's the longer term um, risks. Uh, to women. So, so in exploitation, two of the women immediately suffered <gasps> stroke and both of them lost their ability to ever have their own children. So in order to help somebody have a mm -hmm. baby, they will never now be able to have children. Oh my God. And let me guess, that's not super clearly spelled out when they're agreeing oh, to hell this. No. I mean, oh, hell no. I know a couple of women who have done this and who have lost the ability to to make children. And they did this very young, uh, early, you know, in their 20s, did it for money to pay off their lo student loans um, and and went, you know, into perimenopause afterwards and, and was never able to have children. Um, and they were never told that it that this was a risk they were taking. Oh, yeah. And that's how these women find me. Because when they go back to the clinic or the uh, the agency, when things go wrong, they're told, we didn't do anything wrong. Ugh. We've never seen this happen before. Must have been something. Calipapodemus in, in exploitation was a student at Stanford. She was told that she didn't disclose a, a, a medical problem that she had, that she didn't even know she had. So how can you disclose something you don't know? And she, they never even got to the egg retrieval um, part of the procedure with Kala because she suffered a massive stroke. They paid her $750. Wow. She almost died. She will never be able to have her own children. How is this so, even remotely uh, legal? Uh, I know. I know. Um, because, because 
We well, because America hates women. I mean, it's so, it's so, you know, it's interesting that I even still am shocked by how nothing in the system and in the laws actually set up to protect and, and respect women and, and our rights, you know, because obviously like I, I know so much and yet there still is this kind of fundamental shock that still comes up when I learn this stuff, which quite frankly is displaced, you know, with what I know. Why, why, why would this be illegal? You know, where's right. the... Where's right. the incentive? Like your and, money, like your doc says, just follow the money. And and back to my, you know, previous life in in nursing and, and in hospitals, my disgust of physicians mm. who are profiting, profiting. I mean, the the highest paid physicians are often fertility. Doctors. Totally. I'm from I mean, LA. So I, I got real familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. And just the, the total scam of, you know, and this is a whole nother extension of this that of course you already know about is, is how many women that I personally have worked with or loved or, or knew who air quotes tried to get pregnant for a couple months, but have no concept of their cycle and when they're fertile. Um, And then, you know, go to their OB, hey, we've been trying to get pregnant for a couple months and it's not happening. What do I do? And instead of any education, uh, you know, because it would be free and it would feel powerful because of any education on fertility awareness, they send her right over to the fertility specialist. And before she knows it, she's down the rabbit hole of IUI or, or IVF and the enormous expense and the enormous tax on the body. And then the manufactured uh, designer pregnancy that then, of course, is coming with an enormous uh, allegiance to the medical paradigm. And it's just out of fucking control what is happening. It, it really is. It's, and because it is. of the isolation of women, everyone thinks that they're special in their fertility journal journey, just like with the C-sections, you know, most women are emerging thinking that they have a uniquely broken problem instead yeah. of that it's getting manufactured as a blanket, you know, put on top of females in North America. Yeah. And I'm in the backyard of the Silicon Valley where everybody, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, the new employee benefit for women is to freeze and bank their own eggs mm-hmm. so that they can have their babies when they're 40. Yeah. Keep and working. Just, and you're just like, wait, I thought the Silicon Valley was full of smart people right? that ought to be able to figure out that there's, that, you know, women ought to have their body, the babies when their bodies are ready to have their babies and not freeze their eggs. Right. You know, the synthetic like frozen eggs are smart doesn't mean intuitive or for women yeah. right? it's, but it's but it's progressive it's mm-hmm. progressive it's built as progressive you know this new modern family is the progressive way so f- forgive my ignorance but is freezing eggs like for yourself the same thing as egg harvesting is that is what it is or the woman goes through the same process i mean she takes the fertility drug she super ovulates she doesn't want to freeze one egg she was and and this is very expensive you know this is only for the elite the well insured Mm -hmm. the wealthy Mm -hmm. um so she's going through this you know i have a podcast venus rising and i had a woman on my podcast last month who who froze and banked her own eggs and within 11 months she was diagnosed with breast cancer oh no, no medical history of breast cancer, you know, not a BRCA gene carrier, none of this, you know, it's because level, of the enormous hormonal disruption. We can't say, I mean, we, we wonder. Yeah. I mean, why, I mean, usually young women don't get breast cancer. Right. 
you know, it's not a, a and acting. I mean, just the idea, of course, that that there's no relationship or cause and effect. You know, like we don't we don't get out of this kind of playing with nature uh, without enormous consequence. You know, and we're yeah. seeing it. But so few people. It's why I'm so grateful for your work because so few women. I mean, Jennifer Block included. But the fact that I can count on one hand the amount of women that are trying to talk about this in the public eye is kind of proves my own point. You know, that there really <laughs> is not a lot of voice to. Uh, to women that are actually being targeted and convinced and and moving forward with this and the cost of it, the cost of it in a woman's body and the cost of it, you know, to our human race. Oh, and we're intentionally um, censored, silenced, right. ignored. I mean, our message is, you know, we're like big tobacco. No, no, no. Nothing wrong yeah. with smoking. Yeah. Away. <laughs> well, you said that in the documentary. You said something. You made the anal or the the connection point of you know cigarettes come with a big warning label on them, but surrogacy does not. Egg yeah. harvesting does not. And just how deeply unethical it is that women are truly not even close to being accurately informed of what they are signing themselves up for. Um, you know, both physically, short term, long term, and emotionally. You know. And plus, and plus informed consent is, even if you're absolutely informing people, um, because money is on the table, yeah. that that's a colluded, coerced, you know, here's what I say informed consent should be. Okay, young lady, you're thinking about selling your eggs or renting your womb. Nobody gives a fuck about you. Um, when things go wrong, don't call us because we don't care. Um, we're not going to follow you up five years from now or 10 years from now to find out, you know, did your ovaries drop out of your body or we you have your children, you know, it, you're nothing, you're chattel, you're nothing. Yeah. Now do you you're want a dairy talk? cow? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and it, like you just said about, you know, consent, you know, consent cannot be bought. Now, right. not everybody understands that or agrees with that. You know, that was the name of, of, of our last episode of, of our surrogacy series that we did. And it was really oh, heartbreaking to see how many women, you know, wrote to me saying, yes, it can. You know, I'm a sex worker and consent absolutely can be bought. And just, oh my yeah. goodness, just how, it just says everything, you know, that there are women out there who, who really actually think that consent can be bought and, and that the power structure of money um, and how it targets women that need money, um, how that doesn't quite connect the dots for them. Um, yeah, wow. just wow. So let's talk about, and, and maybe we will get into sex work because it, it, I actually was a little surprised by how hand in hand surrogacy and sex work, uh, wound up kind of going when I released that ser series. Um, but it, it kind of is all under the same realm, right? Of renting our yeah. bodies and, and that consent cannot be bought, um, uh, preying on, on a certain demographic of women. But I did want to just circle back real quick to, we discussed the uh, some. I'm, I'm sure there's many, many more, but some of the risks of of egg donation. Uh, let's let's till over to surrogacy now. Just for for anyone who's unfamiliar, you know, what are some risks that a woman is is um, taking yeah. when she well, wants her body? Uh, when I talk to people, I use the analogy or the comparison of of organ donation. And there's a whole bunch of ethical issues over there. But mm -hmm. organ donation on one hand is truly a donation. We're not buying and selling kidneys and livers yet. Mm. 
unless it's a black market, but right. we, we don't just take my kidney out of me and give it to you because you need a kidney and, and, and I'm a good person. I want to help you. Here's my kidney. Cause you might reject it. Right. So we have to do a lot of tissue typing and matching. And then of course that person has to stay on anti-rejection drugs because their body's always going to say, this is foreign. Wow. The same thing happens in the gestational surrogate. She's pregnant with a foreign baby. You know, you've taken another woman and another man's child and plopped it in her uterus, her womb. And so we're now seeing in a couple of really good studies um, that are the industry, you know, studies, which is nice to see them reporting on their own, mm-hmm. that, that the woman's body is starting to reject it. So surrogate mothers are often then put on steroids. So it's another layer of medication that they're put on to do this unnatural thing with their body. And these, this rejection is showing higher rates of preeclampsia, maternal hypertension, gestational diabetes, and all that, of course, puts the baby at the risk, risk too, because the mom's at risk. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, because it's very expensive and high failure rates, surrogates a lot of times carry twins, triplets, you know, higher well, order births. And they're financially incentivized, right? Because yeah. the, the baseline, grand. right. The price, the baseline price of just a singleton with everything going normal is, you know, or healthier or whatever the right word is there, you know, is pretty low. And then that was, you know, part of Brianna's story that she brought to, to everyone's attention that she essentially had the primo package, she got paid the most she could have gotten paid because everything shy of her own death, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. She lost, she had a, um, they eliminated one of the triplets, one of them, now the twins died. Uh, she had a C-section, you know, just all of the stuff that happened. So she got the deluxe, you know, which is the most disgusting thing, but she got paid the most, which was not her incentive you know, she of course didn't want that, but just that. And then this goes back to why consent cannot be bought. You know, that if you have the most kind of ideal physical outcomes, you actually get paid the least. So you are actually incentivized to take on more children into your body and therefore take the enormous risk of foreign triplets. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really, um, it's quite unsettling to me. Um, the way women are treated and used and, and they're, of course they're not informed. And, and I do know that, you know, especially in Kelly's case in big fertility, I, I would imagine that given Kelly's economic need, even if she was informed of the risk, we know that we know we'll take risk because yeah. by golly, I got rent to pay next you month. You do whatever you can. And she I has got children. Yeah. yeah. So right, and she was a a good example of someone who who walks with so much trauma. Oh my God, just so much pain and so much trauma. And you know, married young, children young. um, You know, not a lot of options. You know, and this is a white woman in North America, so she even has more privilege than what we know to be true about commercial surrogacy globally. Um, And just yeah, her voice to her story was. And, and the, the pushback, and I saw, because I, I listened to your three-part series um, that you did on surrogacy, and, you know, the pushback is that p- people want to help, and they're doing this overwhelmingly good thing, you know, providing this uh, child. Right. This overwhelmingly good for who? Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, it, 
it really is about the money because most of these right. women wouldn't do this if they weren't being paid 40, 50, 60 grand. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do it. Exactly. And you did such a good job of that in Big Fertility, making that very clear that that it is about the money and that someone's always getting paid. And and oh my gosh, Kelly's ta- Kelly talking about the, the pie chart of where all of the money went and to see that she as the incubator was paid the least of all of the positions of the doctors and the lawyers and everybody and just how... I mean, offensive is an understatement that that is. So yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. You know, the the backlash that I experienced of the surrogacy episodes and the conversations that I had and that I put out, um, and what came back. And you know, one of as you saw, one of the most common uh, angry responses was, um, you know, how dare you. Uh, tell a woman what she can do with her body. I thought you were a feminist. I thought you were pro-choice. Um, oh my gosh, just the, the. Oh, I mean, I let's, let's call it what it is, the really stupid, you know, under analytical, you know, kind of ignorant backlash that I received. Um, but it is relevant because that is where a lot of women are at, that that so quickly gets turned into um this this re-spinning of that surrogacy and sex work are actually about a woman exercising her consent and her power. Um, and obviously that is just objectively wrong, but that is still what some women think. And so, yeah, the backlash that I, I got, as you saw, was um, how dare you tell me what I can do? Um, you know, this was a totally consensual relationship, um, you know, or, or of course getting brought up the altruistic surrogacy. Um, so I would, yeah, in my body, my right, um, you know, and kind of this, just this kind of fake feminist rhetoric for their own oppressive targeting, you know, or it was so, it got, it was so interesting and icky, but also in a little bit, you know, kind of fascinating to watch. Um, what do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah. Well, there were sure a lot of heat thrown at you, a lot of flame throwing, which and I, I blocked and deleted a lot of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> you didn't even see, you didn't even see most of it. I, I tried to poke, poke a couple of the beasts. Um, I saw yeah. <laughs> comments. I, I, I must've asked one woman who was a surrogate, um, who was champion surrogacy as this wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I probably asked her three times how much money she was being paid and she would never answer that question. Yeah. And it <laughs> turns out that woman works for an agency. In yeah. Canada. Which, yeah. you know, which is kind of, again, back to the pimps and sex work. Mm-hmm. Cause I see a lot of those women sort of like the pimp models that they, they do it and then they go out and they pimp other women out mm-hmm. to do it and yeah. profit off of other women and they start their own agencies. And you see a lot of that oh. uh, commonality, but yeah, I'm, I mean, for one, it's like, come on, people. We tell a lot of people all the time what they can and can't do with their body. Right. I can go on Craigslist right now and I could sell my eggs or rent out my womb. I could put ads out there, but I couldn't say I, I want to be somebody's slave. Mm-hmm. I'm selling my, my, myself as a slave to somebody, to the highest bidder. Yeah, I mean, I can't smoke wherever I want to mm-hmm. smoke. Even though it's my body, I'm going to smoke. I'm going to smoke here. It's right. Like, no. so, that, so it's like, come on. We tell people a lot of times what we can and can't mm-hmm. do. Um, and it really is. It's, it just gets back to the money. Because there, no, there's no little girl out there right now who says, Mommy, when I grow up, I want to have sex 50 times a day with strange men that I'll never see again. Ugh. What should I study when I go to college so that I can do that for my job? Right. 
you know, or I want to just be a, a, a serial surrogate. And I want to have babies until, you know, my, my uterus gives up and drops out of my body right. or something like that. You know, this, this notion that people choose this, you know, I don't really think people choose this. Which uh, of course tied into this concept of being selfless and giving the gift of family and, and, you know, it gets really justified, I think by when you see it from that, you know, very patriarchal, very kind of Christian lens that the, the, the highest, you know, Mary Magdalene, you know, the highest archetype in, in our society is the selfless woman, the woman who gives everything away, right? So we have that archetype very heavily getting programmed into our minds from little girls. Um, and then meets m- meeting the, you know, parents are entitled or people are entitled to parenthood, which of course we push back on a lot in this, in this series. Um, and then meeting kind of this this third thing that no one really seems to understand of altruistic surrogacy, you know, and that women and part of the backlash I received was that women really seem to think that altruistic surrogacy is truly no money, that it's truly a gift and that it's truly incentivized by the sainthood that lives within these women. Um, can you speak to that and kind of debunk that concept? I I think, um, you know, and again, I think this is where the the sex worker, prostitution, um, surrogacy, um, Madonna is kind of a good, um, you know, and this is, these are not my words. I mean, Andrea Dworkin, Kaisa Ekman, people talk about this, you know, we, in, in the, in the prostitute, you have the dirty whore, Mm -hmm. right? You, you want her for her sexual body, uh, you pay her for her sexual body, but you don't ever bring her home to meet your family. Hey, this is my prostitute. Right. You know, you kind of keep her um, in the same with case with the surrogate. You know, she's the virgin. You don't want to sleep with her, but you're paying her for her reproductive body. But she's the angel doing this wonderful thing. But but oftentimes you don't also bring her around either. She's not in the family photos. She's not in the Christmas card. You know, we've had the baby. Here's, you know, she's usually blurred out. She's never on People magazine with Kim Kardashian. You know, she's just somebody that's back there. So you have this kind of view. And then you also have, you know, I think bash, bashing feminists, you know, like American feminists. There was no feminist outrage when California legalized women selling their eggs. Hmm. I mean, it was feminists leading. It's her body. Mm-hmm. It's her right. She can do whatever she wants. Um, I love Gina Correa's old book, The Mother Machine. I mean, we have been the guinea pigs forever Mm -hmm. on scientific research, on drug research. Obstetrics. Yeah, I mean, and often without our consent, Mm -hmm. without our knowledge that we were being used as guinea pigs. And I say, enough, enough. So when I see these women on um, your uh, Instagram, just bashing, 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 I say, ladies, read a couple of books, you know, get informed. It's just this, this, you know, without any depth of thinking, this, this rhetoric, my body, my choice, it's wonderful. I'm helping. 
what? This is an anti-surrogacy site? I never thought this was an anti-surrogacy. I'm out of here. How about that? I thought you were for women. Fuck off. Yeah, I am for women. I I am. All all women. Right. And so, and babies, shocker. And so, and back, so back to the altruistic, you know, concept I have, no, it's okay. What I have, what I have learned is that, uh, people are being really dishonest about what that means and that there is always money involved and that they're getting all their stuff paid for, that they're absolutely receiving money, but in just creative ways. And that the lawyers still make an enormous amount of money. The doctors still make an enormous amount of money. So it's almost even grosser that the women aren't getting paid an enormous amount. You know, the fact that they're not even allowed to be paid. uh, And yet, of course, they absolutely are getting paid and they're receiving their rent money and their grocery monies and tons of stuff are getting And that is the Canada law. Right. I mean, Canada is altruistic, but it's altruistic, wink, wink. Exactly. You know, and, and uh, granted, I do know a couple of altruistic surrogates who were surrogates for family members. Mm-hmm, me too. So, so, so that was the case. And you know what? It destroyed their family. Oh my God. I mean, it just destroyed their families. Um, and <sighs> one in particular, just the other day, she's in Australia. She was emailing a group of us and she was saying, I kind of wish I had gotten paid. Because I have had so much legal um, uh, fees that I've had to pay out of pocket. Because basically, she went in to help a, a family member to have a child, and was going to be, you know, the happy family, and you know, this will be just aunt so and so. And then as soon as the baby came, it's kind of like you know, two's company, three's a crowd. They just they just banished her from the kingdom. Um, so she, she legally fought for some kind of custody or visitation. And, you know, so it cost her tens of thousands of dollars and she lost. Um, so even altruistic surrogacy is a myth. It's kind of like the myth of the happy hooker. Mm -hmm. You know, there's maybe one woman who likes sleeping with a millionaire, Mm -hmm. you know, like the Julia Roberts, pretty women, Mm -hmm. you know, but by and large, it is not that that's not the case. Right. I got a, I got a message this morning, kind of a hate mail, you know, message this morning that, that was just so, so sad. She, she was, a uh, very angry with me and, uh, with what I, with what I have said and done. And, and she said, how dare you say that consent cannot be bought? I'm a sex worker and nine out of 10 times I am knowingly selling my consent. I was like, oh my God, didn't, didn't you reread this message before you sent it to me? Like you're proving my point, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. so sad. The way that women fight to protect their own oppression has been one of the most alarming and horrifying things I have come to know as an adult, you know, and, and I really wish everybody would go read half the sky. Have you read that book? I have not. Oh, it's so good. Half the sky. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I've heard of this book. You probably have. Yeah. It's super, it it really blew up and it's, it's such an important book. It's by a married couple. They're journalists in New York, um, Cheryl Wudung and Nicholas Kristoff. Yeah. They're, they're really amazing. And they have taught me so much, um, about global female oppression. And this is where, this is where I wish, you know, my, my, the people who get, you know, so upset about, 
you know, that I dare to, to critique the systems that are objectively harming us. Um, I wish that they would really educate themselves on global oppression, because like I've said in, in previous episodes where we've spoken about this, if you are one of the few, few women on this planet that actually have a choice about selling your body or not, make a better choice. If you yeah. actually are that privileged and that of a small uh, number, you know, that you can actually choose to do something else, then please do it. Because the vast majority of sex workers and surrogates and, oh, just all, all of the, the women who are being forced into some level of trafficking, uh, you know, don't have that choice. You know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I always say, why is it that a woman has to sell or rent her body to engage in the economics of right. society? You know, why is it that, that that is our that is our cash? Right. You know, I, I trade my body um, in order to to, you know, enter into society and and women age out. Right. Of course. You, know, you, you can't be a, a full time commercial surrogate as a career. Of course. Yeah. At, at one point. And and then and then how better off is that woman? And the reduction of that's another thing I just remembered. The reduction of it's just another job. Everybody sells their service for money. This reduction of the enormity of what it means for a woman to be using her actual body for cash and the risks that that comes with and what that teaches every person alive on this planet about how to think and how to treat female bodies. You know, yeah. just the absolute ignorance of not connecting those dots really floors me. It really, it just, it breaks my heart because then, you know, we're, we're either participating in our own oppression or we're, or we're recreating a better way. And, and the women who are so willing to defend, uh, to defend this and, and reframe it just, Come on, man. Yeah. And you know, this, I have almost zero tolerance for women who want to throw women under the bus. Um, I was just in South Dakota last week um, and we lost on, I was testifying in a Senate hearing uh, that would um, have passed a very good bill, piece of legislation around surrogacy in South Dakota. Kelly Martinez in Big Fertility lives in South Dakota. Mm. Kelly testified in favor of this bill and there was, we lost. Mm, and there sorry. was three women on, it was the health committee, the Senate health committee, right. and all three women on the Senate health committee voted against us. And it was just, they are, I think they had six or seven gestational surrogates there that testified about how wonderful this is and how amazing this is. Um, there was two infertile women who had their surrogates there with babies in tow, but yeah. this angel gave me this gift mm-hmm. of life. And now, you know, it was just, I sat there wet. We are so doomed Yep. that women are doing this to women. You know, and that's, that's the other thing I wanted to mention on this episode is um, just something that really, really stopped me in my tracks a couple of weeks ago. I know you know about her, but a, a woman, a mother uh, with two children at home, small children in San Diego. Um, she was a surrogate. I believe it was her second time for this family. And uh, she coded out on the C-section table and she died and she, she's gone, you know, and, and 
you know, there's like, it's one thing to talk about the maternal death rates are rising in America and kind of this faceless concept, because you can still really internalize it as not me, not me. You know, it doesn't affect me until it does. Right. And that this was a very real woman with very real children, with a very real loving partner. And now she's gone from this earth. And these two children are going to grow up, you know, knowing that their mother is gone. And however they reframe it, you know, is up to them. And I don't know how that will look, but that she literally gave her life and the child, you know, that she uh, had pulled from her on the on the operating table survived. And so, you know, that family, the buyer family gets to go on. Uh, and, and I, I could only imagine the reframing of what an angel who gave her life for this child, you know, and that, that is the now infant story that this infant will grow up to be a person on this planet walking with the story that, um, there was a woman out there who died for the life of this child, um, and who left a family behind. And that these stories are rarely, if ever, highlighted and brought to mainstream media. And it is, there is an enormous effort going on, um, you know, to, to not highlight these stories. And this includes maternal death beyond surrogacy. You know, if, if, if any of you listening are birth workers, you know, maybe you do already understand this, that the women that die in childbirth in North America, um, you know, the covering up and the reframing of their death so that it um, is swept under the rug is, whew, it's a big deal. It's absolutely happening. I've seen it firsthand. I know women who haven't made it through um, through the gates of their birth and um, watched how it unfolded and the lies the doctors told and, and the way it just got swept into the hospital system. Um, and so I just, I wanted to speak her story, um, you know, without giving too much detail to their family, but that that is a real thing that just happened on this planet, you know, very, very, very recently. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, we've had several women in the United States that were surrogates that died. And one, one woman, she was carrying twins for a couple in Spain. Most of this is illegal in Europe. Uh, the twins died. It was you know, full-term pregnancy, otherwise uncomplicated. And within a matter of very short period of time, you know, three people are dead. Oh. Um, you know, children lost their mother, you know, a, a man lost his partner, you know, and, and I think you, you're very generous by using the word reframing. I always call it gro- grooming. Yeah. There's so much grooming. Yeah. Uh, you know, children are groomed. Yeah. I remember speaking to one man who lost his wife to surrogacy and he goes, well, she died doing what she loved, giving people the gift of life. Oh. I'm like, oh. right. You know, and one of the things that's the most fascinating to me as I find my voice in all of this is the very, very common throwback to me, which is, uh, you're not allowed to have an opinion on this because you're fertile. And how dare you judge my infertility journey? And who are you when you have the gift and the the luckiness and the privilege to to know fertility? How dare you speak out against you know my ability to access the same thing? And I have received this in all different iterations over the last couple of months. Um, and any time that Yolanda or I speak out, um, you know Yolanda has birthed eight children. Um, I have birthed one, and so how, that that somehow eradicates uh the the right to an opinion uh as a woman and and I just want to say 
I'm the exact target demographic for surrogacy. You know, so is Yolanda. Yolanda with eight children over there, she's been asked to be a surrogate multiple times. So we are the women, you know, being, we are the, because we're the air quotes breeders, you know, we are the exact demographic of women that are being targeted. And, you know, and there are, there are more, there are more targeted demographics like military families, um, you know, people of lower economic status than myself, black and brown women. Like, yes, of course, I understand that it goes even more targeted. Um, you know, I have a I have a couple of friends who are in the military or are married into the military, and they've sent me screenshots that every single ad on their Facebook is for surrogacy. You know, mine isn't. Why is mine not? And why is theirs? You know, it's really, uh, it's really quite alarming. And it's also really fucking obvious. And so I just wanted to voice that into this space that um, the fact that I am fertile actually gives me the enormous right to have an opinion on this because I am who they want to rent from, you know? And so yeah, I just wanted to get that said because I got a lot of hate about that and it's bullshit. Well, and, and for people like me who are past my right, fertile right. year, How dare you? you know, I, I, I feel like I can speak out because I'm, I'm a right, woman exactly, and, and I live on this right. planet and I have an interest in the, our shared common good. Well, and like you said, before we were recording, you haven't been a victim of domestic violence, so you're not allowed to speak on it. That makes no sense. You know, it's such a, yeah. it's such a short-sighted way to silence, you know, other people or really to not hear, you know, what we're trying to say, which is so ironic and heartbreaking because we are for those people. We are for these women, you know, and, and that, God, just we we seem to really lack this ability socially to critique the systems and not take it personal. You know, like in no way, shape, or form do I have any negative, I have nothing but love and heartache for a woman. Truly, I mean this with every cell in my body, for a woman who wants a child and isn't able to physiologically conceive it, I don't know what that's like. And I can't think of, you know, a sadder thing for in this moment. I know there's many sad things, but just what a heartache truly that that must be. And that also doesn't then equal the right to buy another woman and manufacture trauma. And so the the fact that there's such a kind of an unwillingness to be able to hold like an intelligence, you know, an analytical willingness to hold both of those at the same time. And that one doesn't mean the other, um, or that to be anti-surrogate somehow equals homophobic is so absurd. And what a bizarre reduction of, of what we're trying to talk about. Um, anyway, I, I guess I'm, I'm going a little deep down this, but I've just been really fascinated to witness the, quite frankly, uneducated anti-feminist um, rhetoric that's come back to me that's like, oh, this is why this is allowed to go on. Got it. It's just a breath of fresh air for me when I stumbled onto your, your three podcasts. I was like, I found my tribe. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. You've been out there on the front lines. You know, it sounds like largely, largely, you know, by yourself for quite some time. I have lots of uh, comrades in, in Europe and outside of Europe, like Australia. There's a lot of, I mean, our European feminists overwhelmingly get oh, this. Good. It's, it's just us capitalistic mm-hmm. Americans who think everything's, you know, 
negotiable, negotiated mm-hmm. and bought and sold. So I want to talk about the language in the contracts. Um, you, yeah. you brought that up in the documentary and, you know, I think that's quite powerful because again, you know, I, I really think so much of this is allowed to go on because there hasn't yet been this real, you know, feminist uprising of understanding what is actually happening in the contracts, the risks, you know, the stuff we've already started to talk about. So what do you, what can you kind of highlight for us about the language? You know, you said that you've, you've seen many, many, many contracts by surrogates that just make your blood boil. So help us out. Yeah. I mean, usually when a surrogate contacts me, the first thing I say is send me your contract so I can read it. Cause I want to make sure I don't get her into mm. trouble. You know, she's signed non-disclosures and confidentiality and all that kind of stuff. Um, overwhelmingly, these are unequal contracts. The people, the moneyed interest people are, you know, in control and the surrogate's the paid right. reader. You work for us. So everything is in the contract. You know, what, who she can sleep with, when she can have sex, if she can have sex, uh, all the termination and reduction language, you know, so if and when we decide to terminate the pregnancy or reduce the pregnancy, the, the purchasers get to control all wow. of that. Uh, one California surrogate, her surrogacy contract had end of life decision language. So the intended parents who she'd never met, she was literally carrying uh, triplets for a couple that she met on Facebook. <sighs> So she never even met them. But in the contract, it said that if she ever had to be on life support during the pregnancy, the intended parents got to determine if and when it was uh, turned off based on how far along she was in the pregnancy. You know, could the, could the, yeah. So it was just absolutely crazy. Um, um, I've seen, if you lose your ovaries, you will get $5,000. If you have to have a hysterectomy, you will get $7,500. Uh, so it's basically, you know, like what are our parts worth in the event that something happens that you have to lose a fallopian tubes, $2,500. You know, it's just absolutely insane. Wow. And, and always punitive language. If you don't obey, you're in breach of contract. Oh, yes. Let's talk about that because you brought that up in, in the movie the breach of contract and how, if you don't obey and, and Kelly's story just got, I mean, that was a crazy ass story. You guys should go listen to it. We don't have time to cover too much of it today, but what, how her last surrogacy with the twin boys spun out of control because the, the buyers from Spain had, had paid extra to buy a a male and a female, um, you know, embryos. And it wound up being, two boys and they didn't want two boys. And so just, and then the craziness of the birth certificate and getting them back into the country in Spain and how, and correct me if I misunderstood this, but how essentially it kind of got spun out into, if you don't do this, you are going to get stuck with the kids and, or you have to pay back all the money we've already paid you. So they were completely hand handicapped, you know, or handcuffed by the fact that these were already poor people who did this to get out of their debt and to get some leverage of income. And then they wound up getting stuck with hospital bills, their credit, their credit got annihilated. It just, got, yeah, like, I mean, oh. it, it, and it's sad. And in, in the work I do, her story is so normal. <laughs> you know, when, you know, probably when this podcast airs, There'll be, you know, there'll be five or 10 more surrogate women who will contact me to tell me their story. So it's very punitive. 
So this, but this, this notion is that women are freely informed. Right. They're making this choice. We have these contracts that will protect everybody. So everybody knows what's going to happen and nothing will go wrong. Voila. And then the shit always hits the fan. And then what does the surrogate do? She has no lawyer, right? no money. She has no money. Any money she's been paid has been spent on mm-hmm. rent and bills or whatever. And and they're they're really without any kind of protection. And we're not talking about real money. I mean, I'm sorry, but this isn't a million dollars, you know? This is we're talking between like 18,000 and 60,000 for women who already have children. Like that is that is not a lot of money. It can, and I understand yeah. that for for people of very very low economic, you know, class might think 50 is a lot of money, but how quickly that goes especially when you have medical bills and when stuff gets stuck on you, like how the, that Spanish couple didn't, you know, how they just disappeared with the children and didn't have to, you know, and the agency just washed their hands of Kelly and that she was really stuck worse off than before. Just nothing's yeah, worth and there's, that. There's, and that was, that, those were some of the comments that I saw in your previous podcast on surrogacy, you know, this lifting women out of poverty, you know, isn't it great that we're helping her? I mean, she needs money. It's like, no, let's give women meaningful right. work, you know, or, 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 or meaningful resources so that they can enter into the, the economics right. of society right. and not have to depend on their oh body. God. Yeah. Okay. So anything you want to share about the legislative challenges to passing good laws to protect women. And I know that you you know more than, than anyone I know about the legislative landscape. Um, and so anything to say yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, we're just in a fierce battle across the United States because in the United States, it's a state by state battle. It's not like Canada, which is a federal or most of Europe, these are federal laws or, or country laws. Um, we need more and more voices like y- you and your people uh, because it's usually like me and three others against 15 surrogates, infertile women, you know. Uh, so, we, you know, we just need a lot more fierce women saying, not on my watch, not on my body, not on the backs of, uh, you know, my sister's um, reproductive bodies. You know, we need, we need to resurrect right feminism, um, not this uh, patriarchal, capitalistic, um, version of whatever we we're, we're serving up today here in the United so States. So you of course find it incredibly challenging to, to get good laws to protect women in place. Absolutely. But we've just been losing, losing, losing. We lost in Washington state. We lost in South Dakota. We lost in New Jersey. We lost in Louisiana. You know, every battle that I've been involved in in the last few years maybe it's something i'm doing i don't know but you know the the narrative it's if i say it's a story war we have the story of the people who can't have mm-hmm. children and right now their story mm-hmm. is winning and, and they are backed by big fertility right. they're backed by the american society of reproductive medicine they're backed by the reproductive lawyers that are making fistfuls of money they're backed by big pharma that's you know fertility drugs come from um and overwhelmingly, people who buy eggs and rent wombs are wealthy. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, so they've got the money side on there. You know, we have the stories of women who have died, children who have been harmed, families that have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. That's not sexy. Not sexy. Mm-hmm. And, and lawmakers kind of look at you and go, oh, oh, that's really sad that that woman died. Well, we'll write a law that will make sure that won't happen. And they go, how? No, you won't. 
How are you going to stop preeclampsia? Right, right, right. How are you going to stop risk of cesarean section and amniotic embolism, which is what the surrogate in California mm-hmm. just died of? Amniotic embolism. Write a law that says thou shall not get an amniotic right. embolism or a placental abruption. Right. Because they'd actually have to shut off this industry to protect women. Yeah. yeah. And any other... Any other, just while we're on that topic, kind of any other industry, dirty little secrets that they don't want exposed that we haven't said that should get, should get said to this audience? Well, I always say follow the money, you know, see who's making what, see who's backing uh, pieces of legislation, um, see who's putting up the biggest fight. You know, I always say you want to see big fertility, how pass a law that takes the money out of it, which is what we tried to do in South Dakota. We didn't try to prohibit surrogacy. The, it was a one page law that said, you know, you cannot pay. It's got to be modeled after organ donation. It's a true donation. It's none of this uh-huh. wink, wink. Here's, here's all your rents paid, uh-huh. all, you know? Um, so yeah, the fact that it's not steady, we don't track these women, we don't follow them up, you know, we don't care about them. Do they yeah. get, like with the woman who died in San Diego, does her family get some enormous payout? Probably not, unless, unless she had happened to carry her own personal life insurance policy, right. or, or if a life insurance policy was written into her contract. But that's not the norm. Yeah, no, no. It's not the norm at all. Most of these women are financially ruined, you know. If they survive. Yeah, and if you're right. Like in Kelly, you know, Kelly's case, her health will forever be compromised. She had such severe preeclampsia, and we know longer term she'll have much more risk heart heart disease-wise because of that preeclampsia, and she'll never be able to have any more children. She's been advised don't don't even. And she's had multiple C-sections. I mean, just the just. Oh, God. Okay. So anything else we need to know before we get into resources? Because if anyone's jazzed up, I want to make sure we give them some places to go with this. Um, I think we're good. I would would just add, um, this is a multi, multi multi-billion dollar a year global industry. And, you know, we've seen overwhelmingly, this is all illegal in Europe. The global South is shutting their borders. They're stopping this practice. Why? Because women and children have been harmed, not because there's a lot of money that, you know, they, they could be making, but they're concerned about women and children. So it only encourages this tourism, which is why everybody comes to the United States or everybody comes mm-hmm. to Canada mm-hmm. and you'll see people advertising, especially like Los Angeles, you know, come, come go to Disneyland and get a baby. So it, it encourages this tourism and travel. The Chinese come to, um, uh, California, they get a they get a U.S. citizen baby, as well as they can do this mm. in, in America where they can't do it in China. One of the whistleblowers I spoke with, she she worked for a uh, San Diego agency, and she was over the VIP clients, which were the Chinese, because they come with just bags and bags of cash. Money, money, money. Yeah. And she said it was not uncommon for them to get three surrogate mothers uh, in San Diego pregnant. Once the pregnancies were confirmed, then they would tell two of them to terminate. Whoa. Because, you know, it's, it's a baby buying, baby building. We don't, you know, oh, you have twin boys. We don't want twin boys. Oh, you got pregnant with a girl. You got pregnant with a boy. We'll take the boy. So you two terminate. This is, this is the thing that, that 
this is what is happening in the vast majority of cases, but, but the people who are unwilling to get it are still so focused on that one friend they knew who did it for a friend. And that's not really, I mean, I, there's issues with that as well, of course, absolutely. But it's like how we're not talking about that one sex worker who really likes, you know, getting money to be railed by a bunch of strangers. Like we're not talking about that person. We're talking about the rest of women, you know, who, who don't have the options where it is truly and utterly deeply unethical. And like, and like what you're saying about the the Chinese example of coming here and, and kind of building this like Lego, you know, situation, um, and that is what we need to be willing as as women and as a species to tilt our our awareness to of what is actually happening worldwide what is you know happening with this tourism um you know and and let go of this oh but i know i know one sister who did it for another sister and it was really sweet like okay great that's not really the focus because that is a tiny minuscule statistical example. Yeah, and, and why would you, I mean, look, her name was Michelle in San Diego who died as a surrogate. Why would you want your sister to potentially die? Right. Michelle could have been being a surrogate for her sister. Exactly. Or yeah. her, her best friend. And then, and then the, can you imagine the guilt that you wanted a baby so bad that you risked your sister's life or your best friend's life helping you? I mean, we, we, I get that people want babies. I get that. I'm incredibly sympathetic to that, to that grief and pain, but at what cost? Right. You know, and at what, yeah. What regard? I mean, it just says, it says so much. A woman contacted me who uh, works in anti-sex trafficking in Southern India. And she emailed me and said, you know, something that I don't know that, you know, that I see happen here quite often in the slums is that uh, women are surrogates for the baby to be trafficked. Oh yeah. So it's not loving parents who are infertile, who are renting a woman who's going to be well, well cared for, you know, well cared for air quotes. Um, These are the, the bottom of the barrel, most disposable, you know, treated as the most disposable people on this planet, which are the poor, poor, poor women in the slums of third world countries. Um, and yeah, this woman wrote me this whole letter about that that is a normal experience in the areas that she serves in where women are um, actually bought at disgustingly low prices by pimps, by surrogacy pimps, by baby trafficking pimps who are always going to intend to sell, depending on the sex of the baby, either the female baby into sex trafficking or the boy baby into labor trafficking. And that that is just part of this surrogacy conversation. Yeah. We had a surrogate lawyer in uh, Southern California who was busted by the FBI because she was involved in a baby trafficking ring. So she basically was getting surrogates in the Ukraine, Eastern Europe, pregnant, um, and then faking sham surrogacy arrangements that then fell out. You know, the intended parents decided that they didn't want the baby and then she Mm. would, you know, go and barter the baby, you know? I mean, yeah. 
So, and I like to always use my state as the whipping boy because California prides itself in being the most heavily regulated surrogacy friendly state where everything goes so well. And it's, it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. So again, my plea to everyone listening is that it is to broaden the understanding and the perspective of what this is globally for for women and children, you know, and, and, and for men, because men were little babies too. And that this is happening all over, um, in, in the most deeply harmful, dark, just evil, evil, evil energy. And so it's bigger than the sister for the sister, you know, it's bigger than that one sex worker you might know who's walking around saying how empowered she is. It's bigger than that. And we really, we must have the willingness to zoom out and look at the whole picture, you know, before we try to silence each other to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So movies, books, Plug away, because I know you've done some enormous, incredible work on this. Where where do people go? Well, all of my movies are on Prime, so anybody can watch them. But if you're Prime, you get to watch them for free. We also have them on Vimeo because they're in so many different languages, and Vimeo allows platform to help. So there, our films are in Spanish, Italian, French, Japanese even. Cool. Um, so I would encourage people to just to check out our films. I, I'm a big fan of SpinFX, which is a feminist publishing house. Uh, down in Australia. And there's three books that SpinFX has recently published, well, within the last several years. One is um, Kaija Ekman's book, uh, Prostitution and Surrogacy, The Split Self, Being and Being Mm. Bought, Prostitution. So she really untangles that prostitution, surrogacy, um, dichotomy, and the angel and the Madonna and the dirty whore and all that business, and blows up the myth of the altruistic surrogate. Nice. Okay, good. Yeah. Renata Klein's book, Surrogacy, A a Human Rights Violation, is excellent. Mm -hmm. And it really looks at surrogacy as a human rights violation to women and to children. And then a book that I edited with Renata and Melinda Tankard Rice out of SpinFX is called Broken Bonds, uh, Surrogate Mothers Speak Out. And it's a bunch of collection of firsthand story accounts. So you'll hear from the altruistic surrogate. You'll hear from the person who helped the family member. You'll hear from the commercial surrogate. Okay, and good. how everything just goes terribly, terribly wrong. Mm. So awesome. There's plenty of stuff out there yep. for people who really want to better understand what's at stake. And do you have a website people can go to to learn more about you? Yeah, our website is cbc-network.org. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really oh, appreciate great. it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your work in this world. It's so needed. You too. <laughs> Take care. that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.